Persian Broadcasting Network. The Half Empty Cup of Joe is sponsored by Milan Vukovic with Tahibo Tea at 818-610-8088. This is your Half Empty Cup of Joe. Pour a cup of this good-smelling coffee. It will taste as good as it smells. This show is hosted by Joe Jaquint and Jason Walker. Because half a cup is better than no cup. All right. This is the Half Empty Cup of Joe. Uh, Jason and Joe here for the balance of the next two hours, a show we've been doing for almost two and a half years. And... Uh, we got a pretty decent audience. We got our we got our we got our audience that likes this show. If if you like it and, and truly do like the show, you really should uh, tell your tell your friends, tell your family. Of course, there is a, a certain type of flavor you have to have a taste for. It's kind of like uh, coffee. Some people don't like coffee. Uh, some people do. It's an acquired taste. But uh, uh, let everyone know. Let let everyone know about the show because the more people that listen to the show, the better the show gets. The more callers we have, uh, the more the information spreads. Uh, we have the terrestrial radio. At 1360 a.m. on the dial, but you can also just go right to 1360khnc.com, stream us live. But you can also go to Rumble to hear this show. Uh, click on you can you can see all the old shows. If you say, hey, you know, a week ago I really wish I would have could have heard, heard that show again. You can go to our Rumble channel and uh, go to the Half Empty Cup of Joe, and you can find just write down the date. Try to remember, you know, try to remember the date of the shows that you liked, and that's kind of important too because. If you know to go to Rumble and look up a show, you can go uh, after today's show. You can go to our Rumble sh- uh, uh, channel and go to Monday's show. Monday's show is uh, Don Fletcher. We uh, we put him on the air. It's a, it's a uh, literally at bit shoot. If you wanted to find this, it's how the financial world will collapse. Don Fletcher presentation, nineteen ninety one. Um, if you want to go look at the whole presentation without Joe and Jason's commentary, that's fine. But we're gonna we're gonna go pretty much commercial free again. It's a three hour presentation. There's a lot of information. Uh, I don't agree with everything that he says. I might I might uh, do a little bit of the 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 things that I disagree with on this uh, this uh, show today. But we only covered an hour. You know, commercial free. We we covered the first hour of the presentation. So today we're probably going to go for that second hour because uh, he kind of set up Joe. He just kind of set up how how it all works, the world history of how we ended up here, how every ten years the money supply is doubled to the point where you end up with one hundred and twenty eight percent taxes. And you think, well, I don't pay one hundred twenty eight percent taxes, but if you go from birth to death, Joe. It's kind of hard to argue that uh, a lot of people are being taxed a 100% of everything because if you die with nothing, didn't somebody else get it all, Joe? You know, oh, I spent it. Really? Did you spend it? I mean, everyone has to buy food and, and, and energy. But uh, how, how hard are people working to end up with nothing at the end of their life, Joe? It's, 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 a, it's a deliberate system. And Don Fletcher has really done a good job of, of putting it out there, Joe. Yeah, and and I want to highlight, too, you know, you go back to, you know, this was in the early 90s, 
yep. when when Don was talking about this. And then, uh, you know, Harry Figgy, uh, 1995, right? He, he wrote uh, about the, the bankruptcy and the hockey stick. And then J.P. Uh, Morgan's Jamie Dimon just last week said the hockey stick is just starting, right? And, and and I think this is kind of part two here with, with, with Don. We're going to be getting to that part here uh, where, uh, okay, you, you kept printing and 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 you kept printing. And, and eventually you, you print it right, right, right into the end of its life because that's what happens uh, to fiat currency. Well, and, and as he also said, it, it was a design. It's a design system. It's a socialist banking system. It goes with your communist education system and everything else that was being rolled in in 1913 through 1933. So this, he, he, he made a really strong case. I, I, I'm not 100 percent with him, but I, I get uh, the, uh, the the logic of tr- you know con- conventional history, conventional history. What we learned, how how everything was that for thousands of years, you had a horse and a lantern. And then the American system is born in the 1700s, and suddenly look at where we've been since the American system right. has freed people he talk, to, right. keep, yep. to keep what they get. And he talked about that. He said, listen, other nations, they can copy it, right? And maybe they can make an improvement on, on the existing invention, right? You know, But they can't do it because their systems don't reward it. And, and now we're entering and we're getting to this point now where, where our system isn't going to be rewarding you for doing it, right? J- Jason kind of says that, you know, hey, we've got a, a dark age coming where, hey, you know what? You're not going to be uh, the financial beneficiary uh, of the next great thing. And, and when that happens, right, that, that's when, you know, creativity stops, ingenuity stops. And, and when that happens, right, uh, unfortunately, you have all the power in just a few and the many don't have anything. And look at Wall Street's a great example. All-time record highs really on the back of, of 10 stocks, right? I mean, it, it's it's incredible uh how top heavy things are you can look at 10 companies and just you know it's not exactly how it works but just put 10 families in place it's not walmart it's the walmart family you know it's not apple it's the apple family you know families are different nowadays right joe and and if if 10 families run your entire financial system at least the part that's the buying and selling of the markets not a lot of freedom there. Not a lot of growth for the average guy, Joe. And so let's get into this. We're going to go commercial free for at least for the first hour and, and try to get as much in because this guy's got a lot of information. Remember, if you want to see the information that led to today's episode, go back to Monday, Half Empty Cup of Joe out at Rumble, and you can listen to the first show. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll give the information out about the, the video and everything as we go along. So, so here we go. Don, this is Don Fletcher. So forth was that uh, one of the one of the best well, probably the best thing on economics comes out of, of out of Proverbs written by Solomon. Proverbs is a book that Solomon wrote for his son Rehoboam, who was probably a teenager when he wrote the book. But when Solomon wrote the book, but what it does is it explains economics, and economics is explained in one sentence. Matter of fact, it's not just explained once in one sentence; it's explained twice in one sentence. This is how complete the Bible is. All right. Let's take a look at this. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. That doesn't work, does it? Let's try another one. Okay. 
Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It's on the screen here. It says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. He that soweth in equity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. It's uh, right out of the Bible. Okay, that's not really great. Try another one. This okay. is the one part of the video that's kind of tough. He has these Set. markers so that aren't working. He keeps looking for markers. And the borrower is the servant to the lender. Now, I think that probably the reason that it was written in the old Hebrew language is it was such a precise language at that time. You could actually, you could formulas or make equations out of you all. So let's make a formula out of language because it says it twice. Once, the rituals over the poor. Secondly, the borrower is servant to the lender. See, it says the same thing twice. Okay? To, to formulate it, it says uh, the rich, okay, rule, okay, rule, actually the rich rule, okay, over the poor. That's the first thing it says. Then you can make a little plus over here. It says the borrower is the servant or the slave in some versions, slave to the lender. Isn't that interesting? So now uh, I have this, uh, not only has had, had the the fun of raising some, some kids, but I, now I've got grandkids to raise, okay? And they ask you all these questions. It's kind of, you know, kids want to know the answer. They don't want to fool around with a bunch of gobbledygook, okay? So, all right, if, if, if a kid were to ask you now uh, what a ruler is, how would you explain what a ruler is? What would you say? See, because if you say it's a king, that's not always true. If you say it's a president, because these guys aren't always ruling, are they? See, the answer comes right out of Solomon. Now, we've had 4,000 years to know whether Solomon knew what he was talking about or not, see? He was the richest man who ever lived and the wisest man who ever lived in some respects. In some respects, he wasn't too smart. But on money, he was pretty smart. Okay? Okay, a ruler, got it? Ready? We're ready for some real economics. Is a rich lender. <laughs> there hasn't been any deviation in that, in that, in that definition for 4,000 years. That is definitely the ruler. The servant or the slave is the poor borrower. Now, when we go to business school, it, People's Republic of Berkeley or Harvard or something like this. What, what do we learn? We learn how to get out and borrow money so we can start a business, don't we? See, notice wrong. That's not what we should be learning. So they teach us it's really slave school. We got a catalog from Harvard and we thought maybe they would teach it different. We learn how to get to Washington. It seems, you, it seems that you go to Harvard and turn left. Okay, so what happens, you see, is that the whole education system is to put you under external control. Isn't that interesting? Do we understand why the manifesto says that the government must run all schools? Because that's what's going to be taught. This is, the, this is the progressive education of John Dewey. This was started by Horace Mann back 150, 40 years ago. And it's been culminated now into our present economic or education system, which has no education in it at all. All it is is external indoctrination. Any learning is purely coincidental. Okay. Now, this is economics. Some people understand it and some people don't. One guy who understood it, a very smart guy, was a guy born in Italy by the name of Consimo Medici. Consimo Medici started a bank in the year 1300. Okay, it was the Medici Bank. He was the governor of Florence, and Italy at that time was a loose confederation of principalities, Joao, Venice, Milan, all these different things, Genoa. And uh, 
he wanted to unify or control Italy. So what he did was he loaned money to Italy, to the prince and the principality. He had a bank up here, and he would loan money to the prince. Isn't this exciting? Now, we all know how that works. If the prince can't pay the loan back, then he gets the prince's country. See how that works? Is this fun? You, you know, have you ever seen anybody that couldn't make their car payment? They have this little tow truck comes out and tows it away. <laughs> See? Isn't that fun? See, this is called kingdom towing. Okay? And what they do is they tow your country away. <laughs> we, now, we now understand poli sci. <laughs> That's all there is to political science. That's it. <laughs> okay? The process is called war. Every war that I know of that's been fought in the last 40 years has been over a money issue. It was never fought by governments or by people. It was fought for the benefit of banks. All we have to know is whose bank is. And we can understand war. Sometimes they own oil. <laughs> okay, now, so what happens here is that the bank comes on. So uh, about 1,400 now, uh, about 100 years of this, Medici is conquering this and conquering that. And every time he owns money, he has to have a big battle. So he conquered a, an area called Pisa in, uh, in Italy. And it had a finance minister by the name of Niccolo Machiavelli. Machiavelli was a young man. He was put in exile on his property uh, back in, in Pisa. And if he left his property, he was subject to be executed. All right? Machiavelli wrote a proposal to the Medici Bank. And he said, you guys have got this thing pretty good, but it could be better. This is a pretty brash thing for this guy to say because he could have been executed at whim. And he said, every time you loan money and get one of these principalities from the prince, you have to have a war. And every time you're at risk, every time it costs you a lot of money, every time uh, it's a lot of work. He said, if you made me the number two man in the Medici Empire. Now, this guy's in exile, you know. Okay? He said, if you made me number two man, I will show you how you can confiscate every country in the world and you'll never have a war. Well, do you think this got Medici's attention? So they brought him in, and they said, and he said, now look, he said, you make me the number two man. He says, if this doesn't work, you can cut off my head. This guy was a real gambler. <laughs> he says, if it works, I'm number two. And they said, okay. And he said, what's your plan? He says, well, it's not just the plan. You've got to do it. And they said, okay. What we're going to do, we're going to introduce a concept of balance of power. They said, balance of power? They said, yeah, balance of power. You've heard this phrase. We hear it all the time. Henry Kissinger uses it. George Bush uses it. Balance of power. I guess he uses New World Order, doesn't he? Or something. <laughs> okay, same thing. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> George, read my lips, Bush. Okay? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can always tell when George is lying. <laughs> His lips move. Okay, now, so... <laughs> We don't call him George Bush. We call him George Shrub. <laughs> we don't feel he's mature enough to be a Bush. Okay, so anyway, what happens here is that, okay, because, you see, all he's doing is he's fronting for somebody else, isn't he? Haven't you haven't noticed it? <laughs> all right. George is not his own man. <laughs> all right. We'll, we'll explain that. Sorry. <laughs> we haven't got to the funny part yet. Okay, okay, that's next hour. <laughs> all right, there we go. Okay. So he said, what you're going to do now is you're going to loan money to two princes. And they said, are you crazy? And he says, got to do it. Got to do it. If it doesn't work, then... And they said, well, all right. So they loan money to two princes. Isn't this exciting? They loan money to Prince A and to Prince B both. 
And the condition was that prince that the princes had to repay the loan. They couldn't pay it back with money that they printed, so the bank would run the money in the country here. So they would print the money, you see, be controlled the money. Uh, the all the speeches by the prince now had to be approved by the bank because it was imperative that the people, the rabble down here, didn't catch on that the prince was no longer running the country for their benefit, but for the benefit of a bank. This must never be disclosed, you see. And so the, the, the speeches are written up here and they're read down here. Get it? Okay. It's not always easy to find good speech readers. Uh, sometimes they have to go to Hollywood. Okay. Now, and so then we have, we have, uh, we have war. Okay. So now we have a war. This guy has to go to war whenever he's told to go to war. So he reads the speech and, oh, what do you know? We're at war. <laughs> and what Don is exp he's basically explaining is, is, is uh, central banking before the Rothschilds. This is the 13 and the early 1400s. So it's uh, the, the concept of central banking wasn't wasn't as, as well understood at that point, but it was being developed. So it's, uh, it's interesting to hear a non-Rothschilds setup of a central bank is what he's describing. <laughs> Let's see, I guess we'll give him an ultimatum. You've got till Saturday. When Saturday comes now, you've got till Wednesday. <laughs> okay, now, okay, that, no, we've just discussed the war in Iraq. All right, now, what happens here is that uh, I've just described to you the four identifying characteristics of the Federal Reserve System in the United States for the last 82 years. That's precisely what the Federal Reserve System has been doing with our government. It owns our government. Our government does whatever the bank wants because, you see... <laughs> When the bank started printing money without any backing, it was called a debt. And we pick up the interest on it. It's called the national debt. Why would we have a debt if we print our own money? It doesn't make any sense, does it? If you had a printing press in your basement, would you be in debt? <laughs> See, it's not, it's not our press anymore. It belongs to the Bank of England because now we're in debt. We can't print our own money. They print it. It's been going on since 1913. You may have heard about it. It's called inflation. See, notice if you do it, it's called counterfeiting. They have a little school up in the state here. It's called San Quentin. Or, and they give the first, that's the fancy, like, what is it, 17 years of remedial printing. See, they'll teach you not to print. You can print menus and newspapers, but not money. Only they can print the money. We'll talk about who they are in our third hour, too, though. It's not a mysterious thing. It's actually six families. Okay? It's financial families, all right? Interesting stuff. Okay, so notice what's been going on here. We now have uh, a central bank. This differs from a national bank because until the year 1400, all that was on the planet was national banks. That was the bank was run by the government. Well, the government is going to have a debt to itself, so national debt was unknown of, virtually unknown of. Never unheard of. Nobody ever heard of it. Now, now, you see, the bank is no longer run by anybody in the government. Matter of fact, it's probably not even run by anybody in the country here. And we have a debt. And it keeps getting bigger all the time, doesn't it? Now, I have a lot of fun when I go out to a restaurant. I, I, uh, I get finished, and I go up to the, uh, to the waitress, and I say, listen, may I talk to the manager? Because all I have with me are notes. And she says, what? I said, yeah, I ate this dinner, and all I got are some notes. Said, would your manager take a note? I said, well, I don't know. You know go get the manager. She says, would you, would you take a note, sir? Yeah, what do you mean? I said, well, I came here, and I, <laughs> I had this dinner, and it was very nice, and I appreciate it, and I certainly don't want to steal from you, but all I have with me are some notes. Could you possibly take a note? And, and he says, well, what do you mean? I said, well, let me show you, and I pull this out here, and I show him these notes that I have, see? Because now if I bought a car from, your name is John? If I bought a car from John and I gave him a note, 
Could John uh, buy anything with that note? Well, he might be able to get it to the bank, and maybe if my reputation is good, he could he could borrow it, right? But notice the note is not money, is it? Notice carefully. The note is not money, because the note is in place of money. The note is something that you give somebody when you don't have any money. You notice carefully? The Federal Reserve System has printed a dollar here, and it says Federal Reserve Note. <laughs> notice carefully, it doesn't say Federal Reserve Money, because there isn't any. Now, when a, when a dollar is printed, it is a debt. The debt is what you pay, and it's called the national debt. Are we having fun now? Do you understand why anybody who writes anything that makes any sense in an economics exam in any government school in the country would flunk? Because economics in, in school is designed to cover all this up so you don't know what's going on. Now, this sounds radical, and it is. The question is, is it true? If it's not true, let me know, and hey, I'll stop all this and go get a job, okay? No. <laughs> But if it's true, then we have trouble in River City, don't we? Okay, so your, your job today is to find out, okay, is this really true? Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, we're not asking for any immediate response. <laughs> it's pretty wild, I'm sure, for many people. All right, we have just described central banking. A central bank is where a foreign bank or a private bank can put a nation in debt. When the nation is in debt, the nation is the poor borrower. Isn't that interesting? And the lender is the ruler. Got the picture? The president reads what he writes. Well, this goes along. It runs pretty well. Medici became very wealthy, became very powerful. They went into all of Europe. Catherine de Medici ran France. One of the Medicis went up into the Scandinavian countries. But the family died out in the 1650s because they got a little bit too hung up on money. It seems that they decided no one else could marry in the family except Medicis. And this caused a little genetic problem. And uh, pretty soon their eyes wouldn't go in the same direction. They foamed at the mouth and a few little things like that. And as far as I know, there aren't any Medicis around anymore. I think they, they all went to bananas, okay? Now, so they just kind of died out. But the, the history is, is impeccable. They were the most powerful family that had ever lived on the face of the earth as a result of control through debt. By the way, if you are into the Bible, you'll read the first five books of the Bible. One thing is to be avoided at all costs, and that's debt. Never get involved in usury, paying up interest, okay? Matter of fact, even the old Jewish people, they had the, uh, the Old Testament, they had the year of Jubilee, where all debts were removed every 50 years, no matter how much was owed, and everybody started over, so that, <laughs> so that the land would never be moved from one family to another, because the land was to be held in perpetuity. That was exactly what our founding fathers gave us in America One. That's why they called it unalienable right. That means you own that property in perpetuity. Nobody, banks, governments, armies, nobody can take this away from you. Isn't this exciting? Did you know that in Southern California last year, more homes were repossessed than were purchased? See, this is America 2. It's the reverse of America 1, isn't it? Everything America 1 gave you, government 2 is taking away. Got it? And it's your choice which one you want to belong to. We're going to, we're going to explain that, because this gets to be interesting. All right? So along comes a fellow in 1740 by the name of Meyer Bauer. Very brilliant man. I don't think history is an accident. I think it's made by brilliant men. 
And he, by the time he was 16, had graduated from school, from college. By the time he was 20, he was the finance minister for the King of Austria. And he thought in his mind, well, the reason the guy is the King of Austria is because he's the one with the gold. <laughs> this is sometimes referred to as the golden rule. All right? And he said now all he'd have to do to be a ruler himself is to get that gold. And so he made some surreptitious uh, loans, some uh, secret loans uh, to Germany through a couple of families in Germany named the Cassell and the Hess households up there because if the non-German could not loan money to the king. But through these brokers, these German brokers up there, uh, he was able to loan money to King Frederick. And pretty soon, King Frederick was in debt to our friend Meyer Bauer. At this point, Meyer Bauer, a couple things happened. First of all, the king of Austria realizes there's a little more gold in the treasury, so he goes into self-proclaimed exile in Denmark, where Shakespeare writes in Hamlet, by the way, be sure to see the movie, it's a good one, that there's now something rotten in Denmark. Okay, now, also, the King Frederick, King Frederick would read these speeches, and every time he'd read these speeches, why, well, he'd be deeper in debt and have more wars. Isn't that interesting? He became a very excellent reader, I should point out, probably one of the best readers in history. He was such a good reader that he is now called Frederick the Great. Okay, because he was a great reader. All right, and whatever Meyer, whatever Meyer wrote, Fred spoke. And Germany was involved in war after war after endless war, and all the young blood of Germans had died all over collecting debts for Meyer. Is this exciting? The only thing that was necessary is that the German people must never catch on what Freddie's doing. Oh, Freddie got all this money. I mean, after all, he had this little carriage, you know, little bumper sticker, you know, shop till you drop. He liked to buy things, you know. And uh, Meyer was always there. How much do you want? Isn't this great? And all he had to do was read speeches. Hey, was this a good deal or what? See, it was only imperative that the people not catch on what was going on. And so for 200 years, the German people were military people, going to war after war, all the young people dying in the battlefields, and what a bunch of nonsense. Got the picture? Notice that's been happening in America for 80 years, too. We go to all these interesting places on the planet, like Vietnam and Iraq. You know, isn't this great? To protect ourselves from all these bad guys. <laughs> Okay, we'll be getting to that next hour. It gets worse. Okay, now, so then he looks across the channel over here, and lo and behold, here's Prince George over here. Well, George was actually from the House of Hanover, strangely enough. He wasn't really pure German or pure English. Isn't that interesting? And uh, he goes, oh, Meyer goes over there, and of course, the, uh, he had the, the Merchant Bank of Hamburg over here, and... Um, Interesting stuff, you see. Here's the world's richest country, the most powerful army in the world, hadn't been defeated for 300 years. And Meyer goes over and uh, wants to know if he needs any help. <laughs> well, you know, kings are, they always need more money, don't they? And it wasn't very long until George got in debt to... Oh, by, I should point out that Meyer, by the way, when he took over Germany, to make sure that the name Bauer, which is a, which is a uh, Hungarian name, uh, because they didn't want to know that anybody in Germany was a foreigner, he changed his name to Red Star. Isn't that interesting? Now, you've heard of Meyer Red Star, haven't you? Oh, I'm sorry, the translation is Rothschild. <laughs> okay, Meyer Rothschild, or Red Shield, Red Star, okay? You'll notice in all the communist countries they have little red stars. See, well, another existential event. <laughs> there is no reason it just happened <laughs> sure okay see if we understand history it gets to be pretty interesting because it's all economics isn't it who's got the bucks okay so George goes over here and he gets in debt he can't repay the loan uh oh repo time
So Meyer goes over and says, Repo Depot, George. And he says, I'm going to have to run the Bank of Germany. By the way, he's still running, or Bank of England. By the way, he's still running the Bank of England. When Meyer went over to run the Bank of England, he never left. He's still there. Isn't this interesting? It's the 13 square blocks of downtown London. England does not run from London as far as the government's concerned. The government's out of Westminster. The Queen lives in Westminster. She's crowned in Westminster and so forth and so on. The government of England is in Westminster. What's in London is the bank. If the Queen wants to go to London downtown, she can't go in unless she has prior appointment because that's where her employer lives. And she must bow and curtsy, you see, if she wants to get some more money because that's how it works. Well, Meyer couldn't, or George couldn't pay all the money back to our friend Meyer, okay? So Meyer goes over and he says, well, George, he says, uh, what seems to be the problem here? Why is the world's richest country having a problem paying my debt? And so he says, let's take a look at the books. He goes back and he takes a look at the books. And after a few months, he says, George, I noticed some interesting things. Back here in 1620, a bunch of guys took off in the Mayflower. And he says, George, I haven't seen any entries for their rent. He says, where is the rent, George, for the colonies? And George says, well, sir, he says, they don't really think they're colonists. They don't think it is a colony. And so uh, they were actually, they're a bunch of religious nuts, a bunch of mal malcontents. And we just said good riddance. And matter of fact, we let everybody out of prison. And they went over and started a thing over there called Georgia. And, uh, and, uh, and so the interesting stuff, which is true. And, uh, and so they, we just let all these guys out. So then we eased our expenses. We didn't have so many expenses, see. But uh, they would never send us any rent. And he says, well, George, he says, there you have your, your problem. He says, the, the solution is that you want them to pay rent. If you, after all, just stop and think, George, if they paid the rent, you could pay your debt. And George says, God, smartest guy in the world. Why didn't I think of that? See, sure enough, see. And he said, I'll send the army over right away. And George, Meyer says, George, please sit down. He says, good grief, no wonder you're just a king. He says, let me explain. <laughs> let, me, let me explain how you repossess the country. He says, armies are, are not the way you repossess the country. He says, armies only are good for collecting debts. He says, because to, to repossess a country, they're, they're too expensive, they're hard to control, they're too visible, and they cause a lot of resistance. He says, George, armies are not good. And George said, oh. And so he said, George, let me explain how you rebuild this country. And George said, oh, goody, sir. Please, please explain. Okay, and so, and so Meyer explained it. And George, of course, was a very good student. And it wasn't very long. Matter of fact, in the next uh, five years, uh, George levied 120 taxes on the colonies. He levied hat taxes, tea taxes, stamp taxes, fur taxes, shoe taxes, leather taxes. Everything was taxed. Isn't that interesting? The way you repossess countries, the way you repossess property is through tax. You want to get somebody's property, you don't beat them over the head because they'll come back and beat you over the head. That's very messy. You tax them. And they say, oh, here's my property, and they give it to you. <laughs> it's also why the, the word attack sounds a lot like attacks. Same as uh, the, the, the language, Joe. We now understand government. Go ahead, Joe. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's keep going. It's, we'll it's, get, it's, it's getting good. It, it's getting good. All right. So they, they sent the, uh, they, the, and so meanwhile, the, the George Washington and, and the Thomas Jefferson, these guys are here. Every time they'd wake up, they'd read the morning paper and there'd be another tax. And they said, good grief. This keeps up. We're going to have to lose our land. So they went to Philadelphia and they had a couple of little meetings called Continental Congresses. And they decided that they wouldn't pay these taxes. <laughs> Isn't that funny? See, they got some little bumper stickers on their chariots that said, just say no. And, 
And so, as a matter of fact, when they when they when the British wanted to tax the tea up in Boston, they went up and they dumped all the tea into the ocean. Well, this was a very significant event, okay? Because now that meant that there was a debt. So overcomes the debt collectors. Isn't that interesting? The debt collectors now come over from England. You could always spot debt collectors in those days very easily because they wore red suits. And the Americans had a very novel, imaginative, and creative solution to this problem. They shot them. <laughs> well, this was considered sort of a joke because here was an army that hadn't been defeated for 300 years coming over in total from Europe and a bunch of ragtag farmers because there was only 4% of the people that didn't want to pay their taxes. 96% all said, let's pay them. It's not a whole lot different from today. <laughs> and the 4% know we're going we're to get our guns and we're going to fight them. And they fought them. Well, this wasn't going to take too long. You see? But so there's some surprises in this little thing, okay? Uh, Cold War, because the Americans uh, were basically private uh, enterprise-oriented, and the British weren't. And so uh, uh, what the British would do if he won this war, he would go back to England, and he would be a serf for the Lord in the manor again. He was fighting, literally, for his own slavery. And so the guys over here in America, like uh, Nathan Green, Nathaniel Green, and the Green Mountain Boys, and so forth, all they were real estate guys, okay? And... Uh, so what they did is they offered a package. They got a little presentation package for these guys. And they said, listen, any British soldier that comes into town on weekends or evenings and produces evidence that he is a deserter will get an immediate title to 160 acres of prime farmland in the Shenandoah and Appalachian Valley. Ever notice that? The whole East Coast from Maine down to Florida is sectioned into 160-acre parcels. It was given to the British Army. And every time General Cornwallis had Reveille, there would be another company missing. <laughs> You've heard the old phrase, suppose they gave a war and nobody came? That happened. It was called Yorktown, 1781. The British did not have enough men show up. Here was the British now, faced with an enemy that had never won a major battle and that was freezing to death in the winters. And it was half naked and barefoot. And now listen, for, for the first time in 300 years, the British surrender to this enemy. That's a strange thing, isn't it? Why would Cornwallis surrender his sword to Washington? He had no troops, did he? Isn't that fun? <laughs> Notice, this was not a military victory. It was a real estate transaction. Isn't it interesting, Joe? That is, we don't hear nothing about this version of the War for Independence, which is... You know, I've always, I always scratch my head, especially when I learned about central banks. Like, they didn't win that war. We ended up with a central bank. And he's going to get into this. But, but I mean, yeah, that, what a great way to defeat a superior enemy. Hey, we got a farm over here. Just, just drop that thing. That, you know, or either just take your gun, but just drop that red suit and just uh, go on and make your fortune. What a great way to peacefully destroy your enemy. Right, or or you can fight and then go back to uh, whatever uh, squalor that you had, where you own nothing, right? And, and uh, uh, it's brilliant, right? It make it, it makes a ton of sense, and and then uh, really with Rothschild, it is right. He he does the same thing over and over and over again and and of course there's a few more families that that join the mix in all of this and, and essentially do the same thing everywhere and uh you know we've said it for how long i don't you know 
decades now, right? All these wars are banker wars. It, it's always a yep. banker war. And and that's what it really always ends up being about when you really get down to the brass tacks of it all. Of course, they'll tell you that it's not, right? Oh, no, well, this, he's just a bad guy, right? It's always, well, the, that's a bad guy or, or uh, communism is bad, yet we have so many similarities in the in the communist manu- manifesto uh that that uh, and again i think we're slowly kind of going there aren't we uh, eventually uh the next war right the debts and we look at all the debt w- that we have and who we owe and, and and all of these other things we don't control our money i mean if we control our money we had a printing press we printed money why would that be a debt right, right. hey we can it doesn't have to be a debt, right? We can print our own money and no, no. That has to be a debt that, that enriches the bankers. And it's why I've always tried to impress upon the audience that a lot of the so-called knowledge that we think we know is you got you to gotta question it. We've done so many shows on fake history and how the history that we know may be completely false in, in many different ways. Uh, the Rothschilds. Got smart. You know, he said, you know, Don Fletcher said earlier, they don't want you to learn this stuff. The Rothschilds learned it. You know, the, the early iteration, the first try at central banking failed because the family didn't trust anyone. So they bred inside the family until the family died off. And then that control died. Uh, Amschel Rothschild, you know, the, the first Meyer Bauer, he had a son. Okay. And then his son had five sons. Very coincidentally, you know, as years went on here in America, as uh, they, their grip becomes uh, tighter here, you had the Rockefellers. You had Rockefeller Sr., you had Rockefeller Jr., and then Rockefeller Jr. had five sons. And they learned, hey, we can't just keep the entire world out of this thing, but we can keep a tight lid on who gets to come into the, the big club. And uh, th- ever since, Joe, they've tightened their grip up to here. Here's 2024, and they've never had more control than they do today, which is why I said we're, we're going to have troubles. The, the, the world's going to get tougher and tougher until, until those that rule it decide, yeah, things are sucking because we're too greedy. We have too much control. We're, we, uh, we, uh, we're, we're not moving the world forward in any meaningful way. And after, after a while, even, even the richest and the greediest figure out that the world's not any better than it was. And that's why you get the Magna Carta and the things that Don talked about in the, in the previous show. But let's play some more of this because he's getting, he's getting deeper into this. Uh, if you guys want to call in, we will, we'll put callers on, 877-536-1360. We didn't get a lot of calls on Monday because I think a lot of people just want to hear what Don has to say. And we'll talk about Don a little bit in the next hour. But uh, here we go. We refer to it as Century 18. (laughs) Notice how carefully censored this is from any government school course on history. Because this would totally upset Johnny and make him maladjusted. This would not be good. So to protect Johnny, he's not taught this. You do understand that that's for his benefit. See, because what it showed was external, internal control was more powerful than external control. And whenever that's shown in history, it's not taught. We now know how history textbooks are written. History textbooks are written so that when you go to school for 12 years, you are so mind-numbed with external control that you don't know anything else. And you've now been adjusted. Well, this is interesting, you see, because now these guys went on and they designed a Declaration of Independence and all this stuff. This is pretty wild because they said, listen, we don't want to have any of these problems like they had over in Europe. 
We don't want to have any of this external control stuff. Is this fun or what? Thomas Jefferson, I believe, is the father of our government. Washington is the father of our, of our country. But the, the government pretty much was designed by Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was a student of John Locke. John Locke was an old Presbyterian over in England, and he, he did a lot of writing on this business of internal control stuff. This is not my idea. <laughs> okay. Okay, and what he said was that, uh, well, a lot of this stuff, but he went into Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 22, verse 11, uh, and it said that uh, God is my lawmaker, my judge, and my king. And he says, aha, what Oliver Cromwell had done back in 1640, you remember when he took over and cut off the king's head, Charles I, who was James's son, because he wouldn't uh, uh, give up this divine right of king's thing. There wasn't any divine right after he cut his head off. His blood was red, it wasn't blue, and it flowed like everybody's. And nobody came up with this idea of divine right of king's again. That was strictly hogwash that the Stuart kings came up with. You see, but he was executed. The first king in history was ever executed for violating the law. He had violated the Magna Carta. He'd confiscated the nobles' property without a jury trial. He'd started what was called a star chamber court, and he had regents and chancellors that he named and so forth. It was sort of like a tax court today. No jury. If you accept that, you've accepted America too. You guys are accepting it every day. See, we're talking about where the cheese really binds here in our next hour, how all this comes together, you see, because there's this big dichotomy going on. Two countries running simultaneously in the same place at the same time. Oh, boy. <laughs> and the boys have a problem because they can't implement the external control as long as you know that there's internal control. <laughs> oh, you can really make them upset. Okay, now, you can spoil their day. Okay, now, okay, see, where were we? Oh, yes, Thomas Jefferson. Okay? So along comes uh, Locke, and he reads in, in Isaiah that God is my, my judge, my lawgiver, my king. Now he says, aha, because what, what Oliver Cromwell had done is he said, what you need now are to run along with the king are two houses of parliament. See? And, uh, and so he was close, but it collapsed. And so along come these guys 100 years later now, and they've got Cromwell to look at. George Washington's idea of beating the government army, of beating the, the, the British army, was not new because Oliver Cromwell had done it in, in 1640. You see, Oliver Cromwell had been the leader of Parliament. And the king disbanded Parliament. He says, we don't want Parliament. We don't want all this Magna Carta. He disbanded Parliament, you see. And so Parliament went to war with the king. Isn't this interesting? 1640 was the British Civil War. And Parliament won after all these years, after it was about seven years, after Oliver Cromwell got involved, the British Army never won another battle. He'd never been in the military. He was 40 years old when he started, and he never lost a battle. He never retreated a foot. To read Oliver Cromwell's history is absolutely staggering. He did the totally impossible thing. He beat the king and cut his head off. So Washington, these guys, says, well, hey, that's been done before. You know, This is no big deal. He said, we're 3,000 miles away. See? But what Cromwell did is he set up the two houses of parliament with the king, okay? Now, and uh, he didn't have a king. He was what was called a protector. He started a title charge a protector. We'll come back to that in English law because there's a protector involved in trust. So we're going to be talking about trust right there now. And there, you want your, your trust have, under English law to have a... And English law is the basis, by the way, for United States law because it's based upon the Magna Carta, which the Constitution is also. Okay, but anyway... Uh, so along comes Thomas Jefferson uh, reading John Locke, and he says, what we need are three houses, no king, and three houses. You see, the executive, legislative, and judicial. Isn't that interesting? Because this all comes out of the Bible. This is, see all this stuff? That's why you couldn't read the Bible? All this power, right in one book. It's incredible, right? 
And so, uh, 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 so they said, okay, what we'll do is we'll come up with the Declaration of Independence. And the Declaration of Independence says we're endowed by our Creator with these unalienable rights of life, liberty, and property, and they're given to us, okay, the people, and then uh, the government is instituted among men to secure these rights. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> now, what made this so interesting, it was exactly upside down from what it, all previous history. <laughs> Just turn this thing around, and you've got everything that happened before. You see? You've got the government telling the people what to do. The rights are somewhere down below. They don't even have any, and the creator, well, that's something they could pick or choose from. But it didn't have any effect on government. You see the difference? Now, it says there's a natural law. Jefferson in the Declaration talks about a natural law of man, of which by birth he has rights to life, liberty, and property, and, and the governments are, don't even have anything to do with it. Matter of fact, governments are there just simply to secure it. Nothing happens to this guy and his property. Well, that's a pretty good purpose for government, isn't it? Too bad it changed in 1913, isn't it? Look at the progress that that concept created. It was incredible, you see? So in 1775, we had a war. Okay, in 1776, we have a Declaration of Independence. Okay, in 1787, we have a Constitution. The Constitution simply put the Declaration of Independence into legal form. It was not a popular document because it didn't limit government. So in 1791, we had the Bill of Rights which limited governments. The first, the first amendment, the first ten amendments, the first one says that government shall make no law establishing religion or regulating uh, anything thereof. Okay, it can't even regulate a church. Okay, and the second amendment says the government can't take away our uh, our guns because what do we protect ourselves against? Government. <laughs> Smoke the gas at the front porch, he doesn't take your property. It's very simple. <laughs> they can't get the property, they'll get the guns. A lot of truth to that. That's why they have a big, big emphasis to register your guns, so they, because that's the next step to getting the property. All right, then you've got, uh, uh, this comes along, and in 1791, unfortunately, they also started a bank. Uh, Two-thirds of it were the Rothschild Bank of England loaning money to its colonies because they were so happy with these colonies having defeated the British Army. And everything, but you see, there's only two dangers that you have to your property. One is an army, and one is a bank. The only way you can lose your property is war or debt. Isn't that interesting? Otherwise, you're securing your property, aren't you? Okay, the government was to make sure that the war uh, and the bank both couldn't take our property. That was the function of government. Oh, boy. Well, in 1791, they went ahead with the bank, but Jefferson didn't like this bank, and he introduced a clause where it had to be renewed in 20 years. So in 1811, the charter for the bank was renewed, or it was up for renewal, and his disciple, James Madison, said, no, we don't want this bank, and they canceled the bank. They actually canceled the central bank. <laughs> Nobody ever done that before. Just said, no, we don't want it. Isn't that interesting? Let's see now. What happened in 1812? Oh, yes. The army came back. What a surprise. The army came back, yes, okay. What do you know? What do you know? The army came back and we had a war. The war was over in 1815 because in 1816 they started another bank. Is that clear? I'm skipping a lot of history. There's a lot of details that are interesting here, but we just don't have time to go into them. Let's see if I can get another blue pen or are we out of them here? Maybe I'll just write with a black one. <laughs> I don't like black, but the blue is kind of going on us. <clears throat> Well, Jefferson, or Jackson, is so angry. G General Jackson, who defeated the British in New Orleans, he is so ang angry about this. In 1830, 1820, he runs for the presidency. And in 18... Good grief. Well, let's see. I'll take a bunch of them here. Maybe one of these works. 
I get one that works, so I'll put the pile down. Okay. Okay, he was so so angry that in eight, 1832, he cancels the bank. No bank. Is that interesting? Hmm. Well, it takes care of that one. Those two. He's having a okay. comedy of, of bad markers, basically. Incredible. He gets through it. Okay, no bank. Hmm. Okay. All right. <laughs> Is there a drugstore in the area? Okay, now. Okay, so, but then we had another war in 1860. Isn't this interesting? 1860 war. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, notice that there is a history. We're taught that there's no, there's no pattern to history. That's just uh, random events. Well, let's take a look at these random events. What did they lead up to? Well, it says that there was a bank, no bank war, bank, no bank war. All the banks were British. All the armies were British. Got the picture? What a coincidence. What a shock. We go to school and we get all confused thinking that England and France are some of our enemies and Britain's always coming to our aid, da -da -da -da, all this nonsense. See, history is to cover this up. Adjustment is when you don't know what happened. In the Civil War, that was an interesting picture because you had basically the bank, which is the city, the 13 blocks downtown London, which is called the city. It's still called the city. It's a code name. Any bank with the name city in it is a Rothschild bank. Isn't that interesting? So city bank, city corp, city land, all these things. It's a little code name, so uh, you can understand it. So the bank has an inside. Okay. What they did in the Civil War was they controlled five different countries. They controlled Germany. Okay, they controlled England. They controlled France through Napoleon, and we don't have time to explain all that. The Napoleonic Wars are real interesting. Italy and Austria, okay? The banks were in all of these places. Matter of fact, if you, you, you see Germany is here, England's over here, Paris is down here, uh, Italy's over here, Austria's over here. If you draw a line to all of the central banks of Europe, star. it forms a red star. <laughs> the five banks in, in, in Europe were a star. Okay? All right. Just a little coincidence, I'm sure. <laughs> George Catlin Marshall was a big hero in 1940 because he designed our headquarters for our armed services. And it's a place uh, east of Washington, D.C., and it's called a Pentagon. And we have a star in this country, don't we? Is this fun? George was really a great guy. We'll get into George maybe a little bit later if we have time. Okay. Notice there are two countries missing in the Civil War, the United States and Russia. These two countries got together and defeated uh, the bank in, in 1860. We'll, we'll come to that later. We won't get into that right now. We're going to go back a little bit and talk, talk some more here. Okay, about this. <clears throat> the bank did not have the control over the country that it wanted because there was no central bank here. Matter of fact, that's why the war was fought. We wouldn't accept the central bank. We now understand history. The rest is detailed. Okay? It's like flying over the Grand Canyon. You've now seen it. If you want to go back with a pack mule and a little hammer and some, you know, whatever you can, because there's a lot more to it, but you've seen it. <laughs> you now know what Grand Canyon looks like. Okay? Now, so that's, that's history. Okay, history is simply the, the, the money. Okay? Now, unfortunately, this is not all that took place during this period of time, because over in Bavaria in 1776, the boys in the bank realized that they could not conquer countries through military control. This just would not work. So in 1776, actually back in 1462, Ignatius Loyola had begun an organization called the Illuminati. The Illuminati was a part, and he also was the creator of the Jesuit order. 
The Jesuit order has been in and out of favor with the Pope for, for centuries. And it's called, the, they have what's called the Black Mass and a few things like you know, before we get into that, we're going to hit our, our over-the-hour break. So before we get into the Jesuits and the Catholic Church and, and the, the Jewish and all that stuff, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a couple comments, Joe. But, you know, bank, no bank war. Bank, no bank war. Right, Joe? That was the first thing I brought to to the air when I, when I started doing shows. It's like, hey, Joe, do you know all this stuff? There's just patterns. Even all these wars, it's all, it's all got patterns, right, Joe? You know, with it, you rinse, wash, and repeat, right? Rinse, wash, and repeat, and that's that. That that's it. That was the system, and, and of course, we don't even, uh, you know, when he was talking about in Italy and how this really all started, and in, in, um, in using a debt money system to to to. To be in control, and and we've done this a lot, at least on the on the U.S. side, right? Where hey, England and the Bank of England, and and of course uh, culminates at Jekyll Island, where uh, most of these guys would have, I think, probably been uh, tried for treason and, and potentially, you know, hung for treason for uh, doing what they did. But you know, they they talk about. Uh, these families and they were very smart right they 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 married other prominent people they got the their their buddies elected into into washington and uh and of course by 1913 right we ended up with this central bank and and a lot smarter uh they they they've they've learned over time haven't they jason yeah we're not going back to the no bank part of that cycle it was bank, no bank war over a few cycles, and now we can't get back to the no bank. I would love to. I'd love to go back through a whole another cycle. At least we'd have the no bank part of it, Joe. But we don't. We don't. I don't see that in, in sight right at this point in history. So, you listen to the half empty cup of Joe. We're doing a Don Fletcher presentation from 1991. When we get back, we're going to play a little more. Stay with us. Stop it, Joe. Do something. 1360 KHNC is proud to announce our partnership with My Kind CBD, a local Colorado-based company that uses no pesticides, no herbicides, completely organic, no heavy metals. All their products are CAO certified. That's right, independently lab certified. Our prices are the best in the country. Go out to 1360KHNC.com and hit the shopping cart button and make your purchase today. This is Clay with Wagner Electric Company. We're out of Greeley. We're here to promote our Generac and Cummins standby generators and our service to the community with any electrical needs. We're located at 1517 2nd Avenue in Greeley, 970-800-3693. The biggest thing that we want to promote is that we set the standard and we're here to support you and your needs. 970-800-3693. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, 1360 AM, KHNC, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. Hello, coffee, my old friend. I've come to order you again. I hear the so I'll remain. Within the sounds of Starbucks Tried to brew my own at home But felt 
Chris Lewis here with My Favorite Gunsmith at MyFavoriteGunsmith.com, 970-776-0258. At My Favorite Gunsmith, all I do is repair firearms. I love freedom more than guns, but the only thing that separates a free man from a slave is firearm ownership. I would only add that it needs to work. All of my guns work. Do yours? Find out, 970-776-0258, My Favorite Gunsmith at MyFavoriteGunsmith.com. That's 970-776-0258. To celebrate the new year, we're having the biggest sale ever on overstock clearance and brand new products. For example, save 60% on our Goosetown comforters, the best comforters ever. They go perfectly with our MyPillow bed sheets and duvet covers. Save 25% on our brand new kitchen towels. They're made with the same technology as our famous My Towels. Our initial quantities are extremely low, so get them now before they go. Our seasonal flannel sheets are fine. In. You save up to 50% and they sell out fast every year, so order now. They're truly the best flannel sheets you'll ever sleep on. Or save up to 80% on all our clearance items. And this is where it gets even better. For a limited time, your entire order ships absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com and use promo code KHNC. Use that promo code to get deep discounts on all MyPillow products. And for a limited time, your order ships absolutely free. 
Are you looking to sell your excess construction equipment? Trust Steffes Group's team of professionals to get you the best return on your investment. Steffes Group is a nationally recognized leader in the auction business with over 60 years of experience. Their team of professionals prioritize honesty, integrity, and outstanding service, and they work with you every step of the way to ensure a smooth and successful auction process. Go to SteffesGroup.com right now to find a sales representative near you and discuss your options today. The views and opinions expressed on 1360 KHNC are entirely those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Excursion Broadcasting Network. The Half Empty Cup of Joe is sponsored by Wagner Electric at 970-800-3693. This is your... Half empty cup of Joe. This show is hosted by Joe Jaquit and Jason Walker because half a cup is better than no cup. We're back here, the Half Empty Cup. Joe and Jason uh, finishing uh, with Don Fletcher. This was, uh, you know, a class, for lack of a better term, that he, he yep. gave uh, in the early 1990s, uh, laying out, you know, really how, how we ended up here, how, how we ended up uh, with, with this central bank and these families and going back you know, to all the way to like the 1300s, you know, and I, I, I would tell people when I first started running that commercial, hey, when you deposit money into the bank, you no longer own that money. It's not yours. Contractually, it is not yours. Uh, the bank owns the money. Right? That's why they get to lend it out, right? They can't lend it out if they don't own it. And... People will be like, "Wow, well, I I haven't seen that. When did when did Congress do this?" And I, you know, what 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 law was that? And I'm like, I hate to tell you guys this. Banks have been around for a lot longer uh, than the United States was a country. This this became banking law like in the 1400s, right? This is how uh, this thing evolved and. It's very interesting, you know, the 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 program of war and and how the these never ending wars were constantly at war. Uh we're constantly everybody, you know, the bad guys uh that we've gotta protect ourselves from and and at the end of the day, uh, there's always it's always money and usually some form of debt or somebody not wanting to be in this debt money system that leads to these wars. And that's right, you know, and, and uh, as Don had said earlier, and we've said these things before, but the, uh, the, even if you have the physical cash, it's not money. 
he, he made that very strong he made that very strong point earlier in the video today that uh, and it's and it says it i say it all the time it says it right on there right on that bill federal reserve note you know it's not even money it's not even oh, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't even work as money right look, look at how many places you can't use it look at how many places you can't use it right uh, the we we talk about the super bowl uh the phoenix open those notes that are in your wallet, they're no good there. You can't use them there. Can't use them there. You can't buy anything with that there, right? I mean, that tells you, right, exactly what, to the point of it's not money, Jason. That is correct. That is correct. So we're going to get back to Don. And then to, for people that, you know, because we, we we're not breaking in too often with commercials today, uh, it's on BitChute. If you want to watch the whole thing, it's a three-hour presentation. Uh, I believe Don Fletcher was going throughout the country and doing these uh, presentations he was trying to educate. Uh, it's actually titled, How the Financial World Will Collapse, dash Don Fletcher Presentation 1991. BitChute doesn't have as good of a search engine as youtube does but i'm i'm, I'm weaning myself off of youtube uh, a little bit here and there it's just because the, the search engine is why youtube's so great that's why everyone does it but uh, if you have very specific searches you can find this stuff this is how i found this one i was looking for other things and uh, it popped up as something that i might be interested in it's like man there, there are so many of these guys out there and uh, just just to let you guys know this is 33 years. Here's the thing, Joe. When people are like, well, we can vote for this guy or this other person will happen or the government will change and we can get it back. And this guy's talking about this stuff, you know, about the 80-something years of the bank. And here we are 33 years after this presentation, and it's gotten worse. And people are like, well, I don't I like the I want things to get better. It's like, well, you have to, you have to evolve to the world you're, that you're living in. You know, just, just be – just – just count your blessings that you're in America. You're, at, you're set at the, the throne of power, and you have a, a lot better standard of living than a lot of places in the world do. And uh, we're, this is not getting better. There's, this system is, is fully entrenched. We're not getting back to the no-bank part of the cycle. Bank, no-bank, war. I, I would love to live to the day that we actually have the no-bank part. But, uh, you know, history will change these things. Things will get better. I love the fact that he's able to say, look, this stuff is in the Bible. It's right there. He shows you very distinctly why the Bible and America are linked together so, so, so clearly. And uh, it's, 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 it's just good history. So we're going we're gonna to play a little bit more of this. Oh, and, and Don Fletcher. So, yeah, uh, this is 1991. If you want to know uh, where is Don Fletcher, what happened to him, and I don't have a whole – extensive history but i do know what happened to him uh he continued to help people uh understand money and he started telling people how to uh navigate the tax system legally as far as i can tell he was he, but he was doing things that uh were, were i guess gray area you know uh, hey uh you can deduct cat food off of your taxes because it's pest control and pest control is deductible you know, so so I don't think the IRS had very much of a sense of humor about this guy because when uh, they started auditing some of his students, so to speak, they probably the students was like, "What?" Well, they said, "Ask him where, where did you learn all this nonsense?" And you know, they he just they just pointed at Don. Don got into some trouble. Uh, the IRS put him in prison in 2002, and he died in prison in 2004. He fought the entire thing all the way till his death. He was in. He was not going to stop fighting it. So. Um, I love, I, 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 you know, if you want to, 
if, if, you, if you want to have somebody that uh, died on the spear, so to speak, when, when it comes to economics, it was this guy. So uh, let's, let's listen to more of this uh, well-thought-through information, historical information you might not hear anywhere else. Like this, they do some things the Pope doesn't like, including run the Vatican Bank. And if you really want to see a very, very good uh, motion picture on the subject, it's Godfather 3. Because of Don Fletcher, I watched this movie over the weekend, and he is right. Uh, I actually watched a documentary about the, uh, the, 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 the Vatican banker. All this stuff is in Godfather. Godfather 3 is considered the worst of the three movies, but now uh, with my, my understanding of economics, that movie becomes really, really interesting if you, if you slowly – it's a long movie, but if you watch the details of the story in between talking about the, you know, uh, the Godfather, he's right. That, uh, it really shows the the corruption of the uh, of Vat- or the Vatican uh, of uh, the the Catholic Church and the government and the banks. It's it's uh, it's astounding uh, that, that you're rooting you're rooting for you're rooting for the the criminal underworld because, as uh, the Godfather put it uh, later in the movie, the higher up I get, the more corrupt it is. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, watch Godfather 3, and uh, maybe you'll like it better the first two. If you give it a shot, you know, the more mature you get. But right, Joe? Maybe you don't know how – maybe the reason it's such a bad movie is because no one wants you to watch stuff like that now, Joe. Yeah, it could be, right? Yeah, I was like, man, Godfather 3 – did anyone watch Godfather 3, right, you know? Uh, it's funny it was, how – it's funny how it's like – have to. It get, it gets a reputation. Somebody sends out, out out there into the TV land, and, ah, who wants to watch that? No. Uh, we, we gave that guy too much rope. The first two were brilliant. Kind of shows how, how it all works. But the third one's like, uh-uh, no, oh, no, no, too many secrets, Joe. But anyways, let's, let's continue. Because it talks about when the Vatican Bank needs money, it goes to the mob. Now, what happens with the mob? Well, it has a guy that has a chair now on the bank, doesn't it? See, and what happens? You know, so forth and so on. Because it's an interesting intermixture of of bank and church and non-church play, okay? (laughs) And by the way, uh, there was a fellow who came over by the name of uh, Giannini, A.P. Giannini, back around the turn of the century. And he started a bank over. Does anybody know what the name of the bank was? Bank of Italy. It was the Bank of Italy. And in the 20s, they had a name change. What's it called today? Bank of America. Is this fun? Got it? See, the boys are still playing, aren't they? Okay. It is not as strong as a bank as it used to be because a couple of years ago until Clausen came back from his, his meeting with the trilateral, his chair on the trilateral commission and so forth, uh, the bank was going into debt. You remember that? They were almost broke here about four years ago. And now they're back on the track, okay? It seems that, that the Federal Reserve Bank can get, can get guarantees from the government on its loan to foreign governments, and the Bank of America couldn't. Uh, there was something going on. Clausen comes back, and now Bank of America, and, get, and our, our government will guarantee their loan. See, it's under new management. Okay. So now we understand banking, we understand war. So, hey, we're making some progress, serious progress. All right, we had an organization here. Was infiltrated? They infiltrated this Illuminati in uh, eleven. This was your bank guys, and they created uh, a fellow named Adam Weishaupt here, and uh, they put it under basically the control of the bank. Uh, they went ahead and infiltrated the Masonic Order in Paris, the Grand Orient Lodge, and so forth. They tried to infiltrate the uh, 
uh, the Scottish Rite movement in England, and there was a fellow by the name of John Robeson who was so upset with this, he wrote a book called Proofs of a Conspiracy and blew the Illuminati away. He was the top Scottish Rite uh, uh, master in, in England at the time, and uh, he, he wrote a book, a very, just an excellent book. And if you have time for all these books, that's fine. You know, it took me 10 years to read them all, <laughs> but I'm sure glad I did. All right, uh, but uh, at any rate, uh, they tried to infiltrate England, and that didn't happen right away as far as that was concerned. But what they did was they created what was called the League of the Just Men. They also started the French Revolution in 1791. You had the French Revolution. The French Revolution was the prototype. If you understand the French Revolution, you understand all these so-called socialist or communist revolutions that have taken place ever since. This, the king was not even involved in it. It was, or the French people weren't even involved in it. It was a foreign, it was a foreign group of people who were brought in from the southern Mediterranean and they were dressed up like French people and they were, they were all laughing because men were dressed up like women and everything and then they went and they stormed the Bastille and they cut the king's head off. A few miles away guys were farming, the French people didn't know anything what was going on. We're taught in history, this was the French people rising up against their king. The king simply would not have a bank. After the French Revolution, France had a bank. And they put their revolutionary functionaries in there, Robespierre, Danton, St. Just, Marat, and they kept guillotining these guys until they ended up with Napoleon in 1801. And he was a 24-year-old general. It seems that 24-year-old generals don't ask many questions. They just do what they're told, don't they? He went ahead and conquered Italy and Austria, put them under the Rothschild influence. Of course, then he came back, wanted to be king of France, and he was exiled in England because he, they didn't want him king of France. <laughs> And he came back to take over France, and he was going to work with Wellington out of England. Of course, Wellington attacked him. Surprise. And that was called Waterloo. When Nixon tried to do it, they called it Watergate. Okay, so anyway, you see, you don't back, go back on the boys when you start playing their game. You just, you just don't do it. It's considered bad. They own you if you play ball with them. And the revolution always eats its own, as we can see with our Senator Cranston, who now has some serious problems and can't run for re-election again. <laughs> He's out of favor with the bank. Okay, and of course we can go to the savings and loans, and all it is is putting them under the under the Federal Reserve System because they weren't. You see, anytime there's a problem, well, our taxes take care of it, and the boys go under the control of the Red Star. Is this fun or what? Okay, now we understand Federal Savings and Loans. Hey, we're moving. Okay, now 1791. Okay, in 1812 they created an organization called the League of the Just Men after Saint Just, one of the, the conspirators up here. And their plan was to come up with a program that would have people all over the world voluntarily give up their property to the bank. And this, of course, took some serious thinking. This took many, many years of, of talking and, and planning and so forth. And uh, finally, by 1832, there was a fellow in the United States in New York by the name of Clinton Roosevelt. Clinton Roosevelt came up with a plan that he thought would enable this bank to control all the property in the world. And he put it in a little booklet, and he mailed it over to the Bank of England. And his plan called for, number one, the abolition of all private property. Isn't that interesting? The abolition of private property. He said this would be done in the next nine platforms. The first one would be a heavy progressive graduated income tax. And he said the next one would be uh, so that if a guy made any money, he couldn't keep it. The next one would be inheritance tax. So if he had any property, he couldn't give it to the next generation. It would have to be given back to the bank, which is controlled by the government, which is controlled by the bank. The fourth platform was a confiscation of all property of rebels. A rebel is identified as anyone who doesn't pay the first two taxes. You've heard of tax rebel? It's not a new term, is it? 
You see? Okay, the third platform was that there would be a central bank. In other words, they, the boys would have to go in and print the money. It wouldn't be printed from inside the country. And to spare you the agony, I'll just go down to the tennis platform, that the government would run all schools. Isn't that interesting? That was the platform, okay? It was sent over there, and there was a fellow named uh, Engels who was the head of the the uh, Rothschild Bank in Vienna, in, in Austria, and uh, he had a son by the name of Frederick, and so they said, well, look, we'll have this guy write this up, introduce it in England, and we'll call it the Communist Manifesto. Isn't that interesting? So the bank produced their document to confiscate all land, and they said, first of all... So here you go, you got Clinton Roosevelt in 1832 coming up with the Communist Manifesto, Joe. And notice the name uh, Clinton. Uh, we all know that name, don't we, Joe? And the, those are the Clintons are under the arm of the Roosevelt, uh, part of the American financial empire. So is Obama and Biden, and those guys are all they're all Roosevelts. Now, uh, uh, Rothschild, Rothschild. Just 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 as, as a side note, these bankers do have co competitions. You know, uh, the Rothschilds. You know. They're very much uh, in control of what Trump does. Trump has has always been under the rule of the Rothschild Bank, uh, and and Wilbur Ross was the New York banker that bailed him out and, and recruited him in decades ago to hey why don't you uh, why don't you work for us? And so when you have all this bad blood on the news of the uh, you know Trump is bad, Obama's bad, you know Biden's bad, it, it really is just a, it's a dog and pony show. These all, all they're all in the same big club, Joe. So it's it's always nice to hear these names coming out and, and really understanding where this stuff comes from, Joe. Yeah, it's fascinating uh, that, uh, and I know he alluded to it before, right? You know, uh, Karl Marx. Yeah, no, that's not really how how it really all came about, according to uh, Don Fletcher. Exactly, exactly. Let's uh, let's continue on here. It has to look like it's not a bank. So they said, okay, we want to make it look like it's a popular movement, okay? But they said, well, it still doesn't look like a popular movement because this guy's the banker's kid. And they said, aha, what we need is some guy that can put this over. So in 1867, the first manuscript that ever came along with Karl Marx's name on it. Isn't that interesting? And now Karl Marx is credited with having written the document. He wrote that document about as much as he wrote the L.A. phone book, Okay. He just simply put his name on because they needed a diversion. They needed a distraction to show that this was not a bank repossessing property. This was actually uh, a, hippie, a hippie movement, if you will. So people just wanted to own everything in common. Oh, really? <laughs> Interesting. All right. From 1867 until 1913, every year, the income tax was introduced. And by the way, the Communist Manifesto, it's anti-Constitution. It's completely the opposite. Now, I, I really wish they would have left it alone. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of property, or, or, or life, liberty, and property. Because you have that in the Constitution. Uh, the Karl Marx, you know, putting his name on this document, you can see that, that you, know, you know, he's right. Oh, we all need to live in a, uh, in a commune. We need to, uh, it's all about community. Right, we all we all got to share everything that's that the, the 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 world gives us. It's completely opposite of of uh, fences make good neighbors, right, Joe? Fences make good neighbors. I own this side, you own that side. Uh, uh now it's the banks own it all. Uh, six family, so to speak. Yeah, and again, right? You know, no matter what, even if you, well, I own my property, you still got to pay the taxes every yeah. single year, and we all know what happens. If you don't pay it, right? It, it, it's anything like the inheritance tax. Well, you get to keep, we'll let you keep some, 
And then after a certain amount, well, here comes the tax ban and, and, and uh, all of these things that uh, are, are all part of these guys evolving, right? These, they they right. just keep evolving, don't they? Coming up with better ways and more ways to end up with all of the control. And, and just to... For anybody that's hearing this today and didn't hear the first show, one of the things that uh, Don Fletcher pointed out very distinctly in the in the, in the first hour, which is uh, the Monday show, for, uh, you can get on Rumble. He said, "Look, these these families they don't own anything. They don't own any of this. It's the system that is causing this to happen to everybody. You, we are serfs and they are lords because of the system. They don't. The most rich and powerful people that we would call them." You know, they get the rich of the most, the, the you, know, you want to know why the, the Rothschilds aren't on the rich of, uh, the list of the richest people in the world? It's because they don't own any of it. But as Don pointed out, they control it all. You can't tax control. The system doesn't tax control. It taxes ownership. And so the lords get taxed. It's great to be the, the upper echelon of the lords. If you're Elon Musk, life is good. But you're just a lord. You are not, you are not uh, upper echelon controller and this is it's, it's, it's good to have uh, Don like, laying it out here because it makes it easier to, to, to transfer this information in a more uh, digestible size because it's really confusing that, you know because it, it makes no sense we're always told buy this and buy that and buy this and buy that and, and you got to get all these Federal Reserve notes and as you're spinning in the wheel because the debt is, is, is making you pay interest and if, and if you're not paying enough into debt well then the taxes come and they just chop it right off your backside and you never get anywhere because you don't really own it Joe just as you said earlier yeah they, they control it all right and, and how do we get back right like Jason said I, you know Kill the system. Uh, no bank kill war. The no bank war. Now it's just bank and war, right? We didn't, we didn't, we uh, dying to get to a no bank part again. But uh, maybe uh, I I think after this, after this, this this digital uh, tracking device that we're going to get for a currency, I I, I feel confident that 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 no bank will come back i'm, I'm hoping that will uh for for america uh because uh, it's what's needed it's it's really unfortunate the most prosperity was during the no bank and that's the part of history they took out isn't it jason that is absolutely correct let's uh and, and, and i love the way he puts it it's you know it's it's uh Inner control and external control. Internal control and external control. And he's right. You can't really control internal control. You can kill it, right? Give me liberty or give me death, right? You can kill it, but you can't, you can't control it. It doesn't win. If you have internal control versus external control, you end up with, with America, which is uh, he's pointed out well. So let, let's, let's continue on as he's talking about these uh, Rockefellers here. In the United Roosevelt's. States. And every year it failed. 66 years go by. Every year income tax failed, income tax failed, income tax failed. Finally, the Supreme Court in 1895 said look, even if the income tax passes in the United States, it can't pass because it's a direct tax. See, what happened here was back in the days of our founding times here, our, our, our fathers, in their wisdom, did some interesting things. And they said that they realized that they had. Uh, Oh, 13 separate countries over here. They had Connecticut, Vermont, Rhode Island, Virginia, Delaware, New York, and Maine. And so 
historically, these countries would have problems if they didn't have some type of a central government here uh, to stop the smuggling, to make sure there were no trade embargoes and so forth. So they realized that there had to be some regulation uh, from inside. Now, the problem is they did not want this government to be the sovereign. They said, we want the sovereign up here, okay? We want the sovereign or the ruler, as Solomon says, to be the citizens in the states. Now, how could you make it so that the government now, in other words, if this were the citizens, how could you make it so that the government was the servant? And this is the kind of government they gave us. And they said, okay, what we have to do is make sure that the servant cannot tax a master. So that's one of the conditions, that the servant cannot tax the master. And they said, well, how are we going to fund this government? And they said, aha, it's going to be an indirect tax or a transactional tax, and you can tax transactions such as business and sales. But you can't tax a master in his income or his property. Isn't that interesting? And so they had written in the Constitution that they could tax on excise, imposts, tariffs, duties, and these things. They're enumerated. What, what is a legal tax, you see? Notice income tax is not there. We're up to 1913 or up to 1912. Income tax doesn't show up, okay? And so when the Supreme Court came along and said, look, you guys are trying to pass the tax from the master on, from the servant on the master. And even if you did it, the Supreme Court's going to throw it out. So back to the drawing board. These guys were busy, 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 because, hey, there's nothing more profitable than running a country like the United States. So they had plenty of time, plenty of money to put this together. So they said, what we need to do then is change the Constitution. We have to change that aspect so it's okay for the servant to tax his master. They introduced it in 1913 as the 16th Amendment. They couldn't get anybody hardly to do it. They finally passed it through four state legislatures. But they had control by that time of the school system, and they had control of the news media, so nobody knew it. There's a book out called The Law That Never Was by William Benson. William Benson has been imprisoned. He's been given drugs. He's been brutally tortured in an Illinois prison. Probably, I don't know if he's still alive or not, but it, his, the, the publishing of this book cost him his life in 1990. We're not talking 1763. We're talking 1990. The boys don't like it when you publish this information. They get that's Bill Benson, The Law That Never Was. All right, Joe? So, yeah, yeah that's, this is one year before this presentation. Mad. See? All right? And he showed that the law was never ratified by more than four state legislatures. And it was supposed to have been ratified by, I don't know, 18 or 19. Didn't quite make it, did it? But we don't know it because we get the news that they want us to get, and we go to the schools that they want us to go to. And that's where we get our information. Is this fun or what? And they got Waltons and Daltons all tied up. You can't get anything in the bookstores, okay? Okay, interesting stuff. Okay, this was a con job right from the start, con job. Now, once we understand that that's what income tax is, now we're ready to cope with it. Okay, it's an illegal thing. It's, it, didn't even, it doesn't even exist. What are you, misspelled sovereign? Maybe it's just me and you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So they tried to get the income tax in. They couldn't get it in for 66 years now, every year. Now, the problem was that they had these senators that didn't want to uh, pass this. The Senate wouldn't pass it, see? Now, we have to, first of all, take a look at the 17th Amendment, okay? Because the 17th Amendment is the election of senators. 
in the original Constitution, or Constitution for America one, it said that okay, if you wanted to have a the senator was the was the uh, control that a state legislature had on the federal government. Okay, and for 66 years, the state governments kept sending their guy to Washington and say, no, we don't want a federal income tax. Why would, why would, why would uh, Louisiana or why would Ohio want a, a federal income tax? So they kept blowing this thing out of the water, you see. And so they said, okay, what we have to do is change the representation of the Senate. Now, they call it the direct election of the senators. I mean, direct election of senators certainly sounds good, doesn't it? So let's take a look at what it really is, okay? My dad, wisdom wise that he was, when, when I was in high school and I got my first job, he says, I'd like to explain something to you. So this is a paycheck. And he says, the employee receives the paycheck, okay? And this is the amount. And he says, it's signed by the boss. He says, it's a really very simple system. He says, if you want another paycheck, you just make this guy happy. But his job is not to make you happy. He says, you have any problems? He says, remember that. He says, because you're there for his benefit. He's not there for yours. Got the picture? That's the relationship between a boss and an employee. Now, before 1917, okay, the employee was the U.S. Senator. And the boss was the state legislature. So if the state had something going on in the federal it didn't like, it would have the senator cancel it. Isn't that interesting? In 1917, they changed bosses. From, 19, from 1913, I'm sorry, from 1913 on, it's no longer the state legislature, it's the federal government. The senator no longer represents the state government, he represents the federal government. That's why when you write your state senator, like Red Cranston, we call him Red Cranston because that's not the color of his hair, but that's the color of his voting record. Okay, what happens here is that he always explains to you why he votes the way you don't want him to vote. He never really says, oh yes, that's the way I should do it. He has not voted for the benefit of California. He's voted for the benefit of the of the central bank ever since he's been there. He knows what the, he knows where the where the bread's buttered. And the state for the last 80 years has had no representation at all. It's totally powerless. Isn't that interesting? You see, they, this had to happen before they could get an income tax. The second thing they did was they had to change the 16th Amendment, which said, okay, now, now you can have a direct tax. Now it's okay for the, for the servant to tax his master. Well, if the, if the servant can tax his master, you've just had a role reversal, haven't you? You've just had a change of master, that's all. That's interesting, isn't it? See, it's like the old Aesop's fable about the donkey that the guy was going off and he's leaving the donkey, he's selling the farm and left the donkey, and he says, well, he says, I suppose you're glad to get rid of me, huh? And the donkey says, well, it doesn't make any difference. Says, change of ownership doesn't mean freedom. See, isn't that interesting? We just had a change of ownership, didn't we? All right? So these two things happened along with a third thing in 1913. Very bad year. Very bad year. They introduced the Federal Reserve System. The Federal Reserve System is simply a central bank. And now the United States government will go into debt to private individuals unnamed and unknown. Well, there was a book written called uh, Secrets of the Federal Reserve back in the 50s by a fellow named Eustace Mullins, probably the finest book on the, on the market as to the Federal Reserve System. Uh, Mullins went in and he found out who owned the Federal Reserve System. I won't go into a big, long story on it. It was interesting. But the Federal Reserve System is 52% owned, 52% owned by the Rothschild Bank. Isn't that interesting? Out of London. This will start again. I wonder if they got other colors. <laughs> what do we got here? We'll try a couple more here. Let's see what we got. We got green and red. Let's try that. Okay. <clears throat> okay, that's 50. Now, meanwhile, you have some other things here. Here's 52% that's owned by, or sorry, 24%, excuse me. 
There's more, get more red ones here too. Okay, 24% owned by the, uh, by the by people in the United States, and it's 24% owned by people in Europe. Okay, according to Mullins, okay, there are four families that own uh, money, a property that own part of it in the United States. This is the. Uh, so just to be a little more clear, 52% of the Federal Reserve is owned by the Rothschild family. 24% is owned by individuals in America, and 24% is owned by individuals, bankers in, in Europe. So he's going to give you the names of the U.S. bankers. Um, this is the uh, Goldman Sachs Bank. These are banking families. They're not, person, they're not physical families. Kuhn and Loeb, Lehman Brothers, uh, Rockefeller, and Goldman Sachs. Families, but they call themselves banking families. The Goldman Sachs Bank, you've got the, uh, the Lehman Brothers Bank. You've got uh, the Kuhn Loeb Bank. And you've got the uh, Rockefeller Brothers. Goldman Sachs has had people in the presidential cabinet for decades and decades. A lot of the uh, cabinet members for Goldman Sachs, for Obama, just transferred right over to uh, Trump. And then they, those guys just kind of transferred right over to Biden. And, uh, you know, uh, Lehman Brothers, we know that changed. You know, Rockefeller. Right. Well, well Rockefellers. Lehman Brothers, listen, let, let, let's talk about that real fast because this is 1991. And so he doesn't know what happened here. So Kuhn and Loeb, uh, they, 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 they were having trouble. Uh, Lehman Brothers, they were they were the new they were new to the group, right? They were they were kind of tolerated. They 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 really weren't well liked by the old school families because they were new school. They bought most of of Kuhn and Loeb, and, and matter of fact, uh, they felt like Lehman Brothers kind of. Uh, took advantage of information and, and, and kind of took them out and, and ended up uh, with more power than they, than they wanted them to ever get, right? They, they were only supposed to, you know, we'll let you pretend to be a part, but you can't really be a part. And then Lehman said, oh, no, yeah, we can. And they did. And then, of course, who was the one bank that was allowed to go under? Right, Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers, the only one. Right, Bear Stearns got gobbled up by J.P. Morgan. All the rest, everybody else got bailouts, uh, with the exception of Lehman. That's correct. And in this model, though, Joe, these shares. So, because uh, what you said is correct, you can change the names and you can change the participants. But the funny thing is, these are actually shares. So, so these four banks, essentially, Kuhn and Loeb, Lehman Brothers, Rockefeller, and Goldman Sachs. Uh, you're right. Everything changed. Things, things. Uh, you know, there was there was a rift there, but six percent, six percent, six percent, six percent of the Federal Reserve Bank, the Lehman Brothers, six percent shares are still owned. Six percent. It's just that when they had some infighting problems, whatever happened, when they had to flush things, but the, you better believe that the people that own six percent of the Federal Reserve Bank, no one's selling those shares. There ain't no one selling those shares, right? right. And uh, let's just go, let's go to the, uh, the, the, the 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 European side, which there's three banks there: eight percent, eight percent, eight percent. Now you're 24. Now over in Europe, you've got uh, three families. Okay, you have the Ferrars, the uh, Lazarus, uh, the Israel Mossad, and the Warburgs. I forget whether it's E-R-E-R or R-E-R-E. -E. Anyway, Ferrars Brothers, you've got Paris, the, Italy, Germany. Out of Rome. This is, this is France. This is Italy. 
And then out of Hamburg in Germany, you have the Warburg brothers. Which, by the way, uh, the Warburgs uh, ended up being the group that now uh, owns Wells Fargo, just coincidentally. Yes. Yep. yep, exactly. And the Netherlands. Okay, this is the stock ownership. Well, then Don said earlier, the Bank of America is the Bank of Italy. <laughs> when you hear Bank of, of America, Don, Don said it earlier. He's like, look, this is the Bank of Italy, you know, where they tried to do the whole central banking thing the first time and they failed. Yeah, that's uh, that the Bank of Italy is Bank of America. Uh, of the Federal Reserve System. That's who the owners are. Now, we often get some information that, for example, the Rockefellers are, are dirty guys and bad guys and that they really are causing problems in this country. And uh, let's take a look at that. See, the Rockefellers own approximately, I would say, 6%. All these guys own about 6%, something like this. These guys own about 8%, according to my calculations. And this guy owns 52%. Okay, ready? Here's the biggie question. Okay, ready? Question of the day. Who makes the decision? Interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Who's the errand boy? Who's the messenger boy that carries it out? And we're, we're fed this guy as the real problem. It takes the heat off all the others, doesn't it? Notice, notice you kill the, the messenger boy, you really don't kill the message, do you? <laughs> okay, interesting stuff. Okay, here is the ownership of the Federal Reserve Bank. These are the boys who make all the money. The interest on the national debt is paid to them. Is this fun? How would you like to receive the interest on the national debt? Is this... Be a good business. Notice that this organization has never been audited and it never produces an annual report. <laughs> they don't got to show you no stinking bodges. Isn't this fun? If you don't pay them, they come and get your house. It's called IRS because that's the name of their collection agency. We now understand taxes to some extent. Okay? Now, uh, I don't have time. Let's see. What are, what are we going here? I guess, can we, what, how, how much time have we got in this hour? Is this close to an hour? Let's take a break. We're going to come back, and we're going to show you a little bit of history from the Civil War, from the 1913 on to the present as far as, you know, the economics are concerned. And then we're going to show you how to really solve this problem by going into showing you how they set it up. There's two ways. There's two things. Just like I gave you a tip last time for the next hour. Okay, the tip to the next hour. Now, two words. There's two ways you will never, ever have any problem with IRS. And that is never have an income and never have any assets. Now, what we're going to show you is that all these families here in the United States have no income and they have no assets. It's called trust. So come back next, week, next hour. Trust me, you'll enjoy this. <laughs> I'll pause it there for now, Joe, but... Uh... Because, like I said, there's three hours of this, so he did break it into three uh, uh, three bits. So I don't know if we should start into the next one for the last two s segments, essentially. But a lot of information there, Joe, that if, if you start to understand this stuff, you start to have a more of a deep understanding of why the world is in the situation it's in, why we have wars. Right, and, and, uh, and, and sitting here, and, and obviously uh, he went through, and he even said, hey, I'm, I'm jumping over through a lot of things, and... and, and uh, but kind of hitting those highlights and how it actually got started. You know, I learned, like, I did not know I, I, uh, it started in Italy, right? That's where, where, where it first started, where someone figured out, hey, we can control things 
by loaning money to to kings, and then and when they can't pay, uh, we take their lands, and and yep. of course uh, that that means usually a war, right? And, and uh, that that's that's kind of the, what has happened throughout history, and we 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 tried to stop it, and we had a lot of success. Think about what did he say? Sixty something years. We voted down the income tax. But see, the bankers were working. They 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 knew the 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 key to the city was getting enough of their buddies elected to Congress, and that's exactly what they did. That is that's how they got back in. Is they just got their buddies, they got their friends, and and you know their sons married. Uh, uh, certain women of high class and they convinced uh, the father-in-law or the brother-in-law or somebody, oh, hey, you need to run for and, and represent. And, and they changed the system that our founding fathers in, in te- intended us uh, to have. And I think that uh, when, we, when we think about 1913, there was a lot more to it. Uh, wasn't there than just uh, the creation uh, of the Federal Reserve. They actually had to change change laws so they could actually start with the income tax, right? And, and of course, the income tax now, I mean, right, everybody dreads April 15th and uh, one of the worst things in the world for any, any business owner out there or anybody that ha- owns anything is getting a letter or a phone call from the IRS. And fast forward to today, the, the biggest enforcement agency on earth is, is just expanding like crazy uh, because, Jason, at the end of the day, uh, we've got a debt problem and they're going to come after it. And who do they come after? It's the citizenry. That's who they come and get it from, right? They're not going to you know, give it up themselves. They're going to take it from us. I think that's pretty simple. That's right. That's right. And uh, we, we have more of this. We could play, you know, we'll probably have another day here, uh, maybe next week where we'll, we'll have. Yeah, we'll uh, do part three another day. No, I, I don't want to get too far uh, started into it. And, and uh, I think this is kind of a, probably a good place to stop. We'll take callers, texters, uh, 877-536-536. 1360 and we'll just let, wrap up like the last 12 minutes here uh, commercial free and uh, if anyone wants to call in and, and, and have a comment or, or add to it please do Yep, I got I got the next break loaded, Joe, just so we can kind of finish off that last segment. But yeah, we've been commercial free for the whole two hours uh, up until then. Jack is uh, is James ready to uh, is James ready to go? I, I, I see him in conference. I don't see him ready to go. Yeah, one sec. All right, because I want to get get the call on the air, 877-536-1360. I mean, uh, and you can call, you can text uh, the last uh, 20 minutes of the show or Hello. so, the last 15 minutes. But, James, thank you for calling in. Uh, what is your comment or question? Well, um, I would like to uh, have the listeners consider to go to a website that is the most informative and correct website that there is on this whole subject matter. And it's called LOST, L-O-S-T, Horizons, H-O-R-I-Z-O-N-S, 
uh, dot com, and there's a book written called Cracking, Cracking the Code, Cracking the Code. This is the most correct information that any of us can have to literally, truly understand who is liable and who is not liable to, uh, to even file a, a, an income tax form. And I think that this would be the, the most important piece of understanding information that any of the listeners can get is by going to that website and learning what this uh, amazing man that put this together uh, put out there for everybody. And there's thousands of people, thousands nationwide uh, who have used this and literally um, he uses the United States Code Title 26 to go ahead and uh, so he's using IRS code but just explains it how it actually works and how the average person us you know that we're private sector people we're not privileged um, literally have no obligation whatsoever um, but you want to know something, ahead, James? Man. I'll, I'll, I'll yes. say this, and, and I, I don't doubt the information is good, but uh, by, by virtue of your Social Security card, your Social Security number, and your driver's license, your, your ID, your birth certificate, uh, you actually signed in that you will, you will pay income tax. You've, anybody that has those documents and uses them, you are agreeing to pay the illegal 16th and 17th Amendment stuff that's going on. So yeah. Well, actually, that's, what, that's, that's why I will never, I will never going to tell somebody on the air to not pay your your, your federal income tax. Oh God, you'll, no! You'll, oh, no, you'll no, 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 no! I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not. What, what I'm saying is learn and educate oneself as to who we really are, and Correct. when we understand who we really are, then at that point we can stand and say, ah, maybe I'm obligated. You know, maybe I'm not. You know, but. You can determine that by good information that, that, uh, sh that you can go to the Title, 20, uh, Title 26 United States Code and you can verify every, every crumb of the information. It's not just... Uh, J James, I, I just, sorry, sorry to cut you off. I got, I got callers just loading in, but thank you very much for the information. Uh, once again, you get good information when you, when you chime in here on the Half Empty Cup of Joe, but I, I'm going to try to get through some more callers. Don, go ahead. Uh, what is your comment? Jack, go ahead and kill that last break, too, by the way. But go ahead, Don. Hey, uh, thanks for taking the call, Jason. Uh, just a, uh, uh, a So in, in listening for these last couple of episodes that uh, uh, the information Don presented, it, it, I, I had kind of an epiphany that most economic studies, you know, quote-unquote economic studies, are really nothing more than uh, basic mathematic uh, analogies. Uh, I think economic history, what Don presents, is far that people give that some consideration. Uh, when they pursue economics, most people interpret economics as, you know, just a, uh, like I said, a mathematical analogy. Uh, the history behind what we have is extremely important. And as we all know, uh, if it's happened before, it's bound to repeat. Thanks, Jason. Thank you very much for the call, Don. Joe, do you have a comment before I get the next caller in? 
Yeah, and I think this is one of the parts that he's kind of talking about that they deliberately don't want to teach, right? They don't want you uh, to know these things and, and hear these things. So they just simply don't teach it. Uh, you actually got to get stupider uh, when it comes to higher education to uh, be able to explain the system that we currently have. Excellent. If you want to call in, there is some time left. Uh, 877-536-1360 will be the call call in line or, or a text. We can read that uh, in the last few minutes here. But Rick, Tracy, you'll be next. Rick, uh, go ahead. What is your comment? Joe and Jason, I want you to know that since I've discovered you a couple of years ago, I've considered this the most important radio show on the air, and I've told a lot of people about it. And I'm really going to miss you guys when they send you to prison for this one. <laughs> I'm going to do the best I can. The one thing I've, I've had a lot of people to, uh, share that concern with me, Rick. And uh, I, for, I guess, unfortunately and fortunately, I don't think the radio station is, has caught enough attention from from really important people to come after us like they did after they came after Don. Uh, if it happens, it happens. Joe and I are, are advanced enough in age that I don't know about Joe specifically, but, but uh, I'm willing to go down with the fight, you know, but here's the thing is they come after your family. There's, there's so much involved in that, but I, uh, it, it's only a joke, Joe, until it's not a joke, right? But I, uh, I, I don't mind space speaking on what's right until someone really shuts me up, I guess. Well, it's yeah, been nice knowing you. <laughs> hey, <laughs> thanks rick uh but uh it, it's something where uh again this is this is what makes us unique this is what makes us special uh we're gonna we're gonna get out there and we're gonna we're gonna lay out things that nobody else wants to talk about nobody else wants to touch uh because we think it's important it really is for uh you know i don't i don't want to see this country uh, you know, go go backwards or or become you know, dare I say, like England or Spain or Portugal or France or any of these other uh, places in the world. I want this to be the greatest country on earth, and I think the only way for us to do it is to get rid of this central bank and take our government back and get back to uh, you know, government, you know. All the way up until 1971, even after the Great Depression, we ran as many budget surpluses as we did budget deficits outside of the world outside of World War II. I mean, from from the end of World War II to 1971, it was like a split. Right, the government was small; uh, it didn't have all this power, and, and they 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 got a lot of this power in 1913, and they built on it in 1933, and then they really crushed it in 1971, Jason. Exactly, and if you're liking the, you know, the 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 content for today's show. I mean, uh, we, we have, we have some regular guys that come on and do shows, but they all have their own lives. So that this is why we've had this open space this week. We had an, an unusually amount of busy guys. So we, uh, I'm always looking for something to fill the space and then, uh, for Joe and I to do some of these shows, uh, tomorrow though, I mean, we're going to, James Morgan's coming on with us. He's given me a little bit of an idea what he, we, the area we might cover. We're going to be very, uh, 
careful. We're gonna, it's going to be it's going to be content you're going to want to hear. Uh, James Morgan, obviously, he sells. Uh, he's a real estate agent. He's he's a he's a sponsor of the Half Empty Cup of Joe. He wants to come on. We're going to talk about real estate and some simple things, some some more you know important information. But he's got he's got some stuff that uh, we're going to be very careful how we discuss it. But it's going to be something you're going to want to hear because you know I love I love our guys, Joe. I love I love uh, their the understanding that hey, it's not it's not as they told it to us. It's this is not history is not uh, as simple as what came out of a textbook in, in, in elementary school. But uh, we have uh, at least one more call. If you want to call in, it's 877-536-1360 is the phone number to call or text. But we got Tracy. Thanks for holding, Tracy. What is your comment? Hey, hey Jason, I, I appreciate your courage, man. They don't call it the home of the brave and the land of the free for nothing. <laughs> no, I, I get you, man. I get you. I, I, I don't know. I guess maybe I, I – uh, I just like speaking my mind. I've always liked speaking my mind. It gets you into a lot of trouble because some people just don't like what you have to say. Uh, even on this show in particular, uh, I, I can argue with somebody and agree with somebody on, in the same conversation because if I hear something that doesn't that doesn't compute as to how I heard it, then I need to be convinced either to change my mind or I'm going to sit there and like, I disagree because this is how I learned it and you've given me nothing. So I, I don't mind uh, debating people and I don't mind uh, agreeing with people. But to me, I'm sure I'm wrong about a great many things, but I, I can only be wrong until someone shows me that I'm wrong. Right, right, Tracy? So I want to I want to just speak well, the hey, truth I, as much as I, I can. Hey, I, I got a comment for you. I read this old book on Catholic architecture that I found at a, at a thrift right. store years ago. And it, it, it said that Jesus was the first pope. I know they say Peter is the first pope. But in this book, it said Jesus was the first pope. And he, he, he left the, the, the Vatican in Italy because it's the war church. And he went and started Vatican II in France, which is the money church. And that's why he left it, because he wanted money. Isn't that a trip that Jesus wanted money? And then what it says in the Gospels about banking and all that stuff? Go look into it, man. I'm, I'm just watching out. All right, Tracy. Thank you for all your information, Joe. So that's, uh, once again, there's, the callers are calling in. There's lots and lots of Tracy, stuff to consider. Tracy calls in quite a bit. He's really, really smart guy. He, he's, he's read a lot of things. And, and if he says, check into it, right, it can be something uh, to check into. I haven't heard that before. Uh, but again, right, you know, uh, they've been rewriting history for a really long time. Probably since they've been writing history, right? Right. I mean, that's that's probably accurate. Yeah, ex exactly, Joe. So I'm I'm going to do the title. I'm getting more. We're going to hit. We're hitting the end of the show. Monday and and today we've we've done, been covering this. We'll have another day. We'll probably do the last hour. It's it's how the financial world will collapse. Dash Don Fletcher presentation, 1991. One last time. How the financial world will collapse. Dash Don Fletcher presentation, 1991 at BitChute. You have to go to BitChute, not YouTube. Uh, hey, we got we got James Morgan coming on tomorrow. Joe and I will be back 9 a.m. tomorrow. See ya. The Blue Dragon Spa is a man-friendly spa with women bringing their husbands and significant others in for pedicures all the time. Men's feet hurt, too. Don't forget. Blue Dragon Spa, 1811 Hover Street, Suites A and B, Longmont, Colorado, 720-680-0492. 720-680-0492.
ETI is your local one-stop shop for all your heavy equipment needs, from rebuilding your components to helping manage your fleet. Our goal is to make your life simple. Our full-service hydraulic and machine shop will meet all your expectations. We also offer free pickup and delivery. Call Jeff at 970-685-2064 with any questions or to schedule a pickup. Again, that's 970-685-2064. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, 1360 AM, KHNC, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. 